Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism and Additional Needs podcast. I'm Michelle Davey and this is my co-host. Hi, it's Crystal here. I'm here with my co-host. <laughs> no, you don't do it back on me. I ain't know it works. <laughs> I surprised you. I did it back. I did it back. You're bringing sexy back. Now, Christelle, we had some Michelle. big news. Big news. We won the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> it was like winning the lottery I ain't gonna lie oh. we've been nominated somehow and voted for we missed that bit again just like the last awards <laughs> we missed the whole category bit of uh, somebody's nominated and voted for us and we yeah. are now finalists in the National Send Awards for Positive Media Impact amazing so, I know. I just want to say thank you to, we both want to say thank you to, I'm going to say it for you, to everybody you. that nominated us nominated. and voted for yeah. us. We had no idea that this was even going on. We just kind of, we just drift. So um, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. You I know. Much. And we get to go to a big fancy award ceremony, Christelle. Oh yeah. We get to have a little travel, don't we? I know. So Girl October trip. 6th, we're yeah, road trip, <laughs> road tripping up to Birmingham. We're going to Birmingham. Is that a good accent? <laughs> Is that good? Is that Birmingham. good? Birmingham. Okay, Birmingham. Oh, no, we can't do the accent. We've just got we've just got rubbish oh, East End good, accents. Man. We can't we can't pull it off. We can't give praise to the Brum accent. Sorry, everybody that's listening we'll to try. We will Brum. try though. We would no, we'll I don't think we should there. try. I think it's insulting. I think you should stop trying with your try. accents. They just annoy everyone. Especially when we're at the award ceremony, I'm absolutely going to try. Oh God. See, last time it was me. That may have caused heightened behaviour. This time, Christelle—that's <laughs> my teacher talk. Um, this time, Christelle will not be with child. Therefore, oh, lovely. You might be on a few, having a few sherbets, wouldn't you, Chris? Imagine I might have a shandy or two. <laughs> Watch this face. I will report all coverage over on at Let's Talk Horses and Podcast over I'll, on Instagram. I'm going to record on my phone. I'm going to show you what Michelle's about. No, don't be cruel. We're not doing that. We're not doing name and shame. But you're very well behaved. So, what were you worried about, Mish? I know. Now, funny enough, this actually links this little conversation about the drunken antics of that night actually links quite a lot to what we're going to be speaking about today because we're talking about today RSD. We've got Andy coming on and he's going to be talking to us he's one of our past guests about RSD now RSD is rejection sensitive dysphoria got it right well done Um, well done and yeah so Andy and it's about that it's about that I mean I know me and you have spoke about this before and it's very linked to ADHD and that this overwhelming feeling of what did I do wrong does everybody hate me and you know it's a lot more Mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot more into it than that um so andy is here he's in the waiting room he's in the green room shall i say and he's um, in the green room <laughs> he's having a drink and snacks he's enjoying the full vip treatment we provide the whole shebang over in the green room there so um should we, should we get him out <laughs> it's upstairs that's why we always just say come on down <laughs> andy come on down <laughs> And welcoming back to the Let's Talk Autism and Additionally podcast, we have got Andy. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. Andy, thank you so much for coming back and speaking to us today. Now, I know the last time that you were on, we said, didn't we? We said, this has got to be the next. You started touching on it. And we said, actually, next time you come on, let's do an episode just on this. So we're talking about 
RSD. Now, RSD is rejection sensitive dysphoria. That's the one. Yes, one merit mark to me. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that we, you know, I, actually, you're not the only person, Andy, that's kind of spoke to us about this and that how debilitating it can be, basically, to mm. somebody's life. I'm just really pleased that you've come on to speak about it today. So tell us a little bit about your backstory again, because you came on, the last episode you came on was about dyspraxia, wasn't it? Yeah, so I got diagnosed with dyspraxia about 90, well, mid-80s. I was I was really young. It was really sort of early in, in the sort of um, dyspraxia sort of timeline almost. Was it you, wasn't it? And they told us that it was called clumsy child syndrome or something. Yes, because the 80s was a really politically correct time. Um, (laughs) So it was, it was, I was diagnosed before dyspraxia even had that name. And obviously it's it's evolved a little bit since then, but it was like, oh yeah, it's clumsy child syndrome. It's like, well, is it clumsy, nearly middle-aged man syndrome now? (laughs) That's true. How did they do that for adults? I wonder what they were called at the time. I I think they had actually had to change it because they realised that it wasn't just uh, little kids that had it. But it's 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 there's been so much that's kind of evolved in in what they know because back then I don't think I don't think my parents got any sort of information that's got told that's what it is, and I used to go off for physio and obviously at that sort of time I had no idea what was going on so my mum used to tell me that we were going to the hospital to go and play because there was all sorts of like exercises and there was like things to do with like catching and things like that so my mum used to make out that it was like we were going off to play a game went through school and had like special needs assistance then and then at high school that completely stopped and it wasn't until I was 37 38 that I actually started to look into dyspraxia and what it actually is um because I'd gone through obviously all that time having absolutely no clue I knew what I struggled with but I didn't know what anybody else struggled with or anybody else that had it. So I went to sort of look into it all. And that's when um, all the the kind of neurodivergence stuff sort of came to light. And, you know, you find out about links to other things and you do the tests and you read a lot of stuff and you realise that actually your your life that you thought was just you having like anxiety and depression and stuff like that is actually written down on a piece of paper. And you think, oh, wow. (laughs) It was it was a real sort of transition from like primary school where all that sort of stuff happened to high school where nobody had a clue. So, of course, you'd go I'd go off and do PE and and I'd be terrible at it. Um, I was never a a particularly uh, uh, talented um, child on the sports field. And at, at high school, it was all what how much you achieved was linked in with how much how much perceived effort there was and it'd be like that's not how that works and I sort of knew that you know I was terrible with like PE and sport and stuff like that I couldn't draw to save my life and um, my handwriting was like a doctor's handwriting still is <laughs> how, did, how did that make you feel then when everything was just so focused on art and sports do you dread going into school I hated it but that being that coupled with being bullied it was just like school was something I endured it was mm-hmm. like a case of right I've got to I've got to endure this number of hours a day for this many years 
and then I'm done. You know, I can I can get out of there. But with dyspraxia, now a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people don't know enough about dyspraxia, and I feel like the I'm just gonna say it, I'm gonna say it, and then like in education that I've come across, there hasn't been a whole wealth, and from stories I've heard from parents of of children that are dyspraxic there's not a whole wealth of knowledge about dyspraxia as an additional need in school still and when it is known and when there has been some awareness it's very linked to the physical things as you say like handwriting you know uh sports and things like that and you know general sort of like getting around rather than anything emotional based can you sort of like explain the sort of emotional sides that come with dyspraxia also a lot of it is kind of like frustration and and stuff like that so i will do my best to hide my dyspraxia as much as possible a lot of people who know me will know me a long time before they realize i have it but it's really kind of a frustrating thing and not being able to do certain things or having to sort of adapt to things or being kind of ready that someone's going to criticize something so for example i've never been able to ride a bike and i remember when i was about 16 we all went away with college to do a study on um it was um what is now center parks up at cumbria i don't you've ever been but it's really spread out and there's loads and loads of hills and stuff so realistically you have to have a bike to get around places everyone else is cycling away and i'm there walking (laughs) and it's little things like that and when people talk about cycling and say oh you know you don't have to get in your car you can cycle there and it's just like well you can cycle there i cannot and they say oh well you you could get one of these like um these like trike type things and i just have visions of myself looking like a real life overgrown stewie griffin (laughs) and it's just like i'm here trying to just gently fit in yeah and it's it's things like that and my other nemesis is escalators in shopping centers so i would literally fall if i went near one but going up and down stairs i'm still kind of unsteady on my feet so i'll always have like I was going to grab onto a handrail. And when there isn't anything visible that people can see, that's when the looks start and you notice the looks and, you know, you, you, you're there and you, you're trying to get about and do your, do your kind of normal things and, and stuff. And then you see that people are giving you evils because you're using a handrail on, on stairs or you're not going up or down as quick as they'd expect. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I, I saw that look, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw the eye rolls and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, thanks for that. Does that really affect you or have you kind of learned to block it out? It's something I've noticed more uh, since I've been aware of, of sort of how things are different for me. So as more places sort of have like escalators and places are on multi-levels and stuff, it's been more of a thing. Yeah. And so now with the RSD, tell us tell us about that. How does RSD affect your life? Tell us what it is and how that can look day to day, you know, long term. Well, rejection sensitive dysphoria, um, the way I would describe it is every time somebody criticised you, they punched you in the stomach as well. 
So it's a case of if there's a situation where there's sort of like somebody doesn't like me, for example, or they react ne- negatively to me, I will feel it really intensely. And it can be anything. It can literally be a joke that I don't understand. So if they make, if they pretend that, that they are annoyed at me or that they found something offensive, you know, if I make a joke and they pretend to be offended at it, for example, they could be completely messing around. My first reaction will be, oh my God, I've offended them. They hate me. Uh, if somebody insults me or is is nasty to me, then it will it will feel like an almost like physical pain. Um, but it's something I really really hide. Um, it's it was it's been something that's been there right from the start, so right from being a little kid. So my earliest memories are these really sort of intense feelings whenever anything negative happens or if there's any kind of negative feeling towards me. And, you know, it's it's always sort of been there, but I never sort of knew what it was. Yeah. It was only sort of a couple of years ago, I actually found out what it was and realised that not everybody felt like that. Yeah. Did people, did people say to you, oh, like, you're really sensitive? Or yeah. I think you're really sensitive. And is that what you thought about yourself? Yeah. So right from being a little kid, I was the most sensitive kid. And it How was... Would- um, it was it was right from being like a, a little kid that that's sort of how it was, um, and I never knew sort of what it was. I always thought that everyone felt like that, and then mm. when I realised that they didn't, my sort of default reaction was um, that it was it was my fault or something wrong with me, which is a typical kind of RSD reaction to things. It's ironic, you know, of all the things to have those feelings about, the actual condition itself. Yeah. So I know that you and I have spoke about this a little bit, um, Andy, <laughs> and it's like, um, and Christelle and I have spoke about this, it's like this thing of, we were talking about it before actually, about like, say for example, when I went to the award ceremony and then afterwards I have this and Christelle was like a bit like, calm down. Like, I'm, you know, I was just conscious that everybody hated me that yep. people I'd made a fool of myself that I was you know I was just behaving in a way I shouldn't have been I spoke too much like I know that I spoke to you the other day when I'd come out of the coffee shop I thought I just like literally come out and just felt like crying because I felt like one spoke too much two whatever I was talking I was people were just looking at me as if to say like what well, you know like she's talking rubbish do you know what I mean yeah so yep. Can you explain that sort of element of it? Yeah. If I had a pound for every time I felt like that, I would be a very rich man right now. Yeah. So literally every single situation will be a thing of, I will hate everything about how I look, how I'm perceived, um, the lot. So for example, if I'm an event and people are filming it, I won't watch it back because I'll see myself and I'll hate how I look and I'll, I'll kind of zoom in on that as opposed to, oh my God, that was that was really good, that event, or you know, that person was so funny, or it was really nice to meet that person. I'd be thinking, oh, I bet they all hated me or or whatever. Um, so we've been renovating our house and getting builders has been an absolute nightmare. Uh, so we'd get a builder to come around and they'll say, oh, we'll do a quote and this, that, the other. And inevitably, some would never get back to us. So my first thought was that I'd somehow offended them and that was the reason. 
not that they had other work on or that a bigger job would come up or something like that. It was just, they hated me. Um, anything like that, any sort of situation where, where I'm meeting somebody new, my first reaction will be that person hates me or there's always that kind of reaction to any sort of situation. It can be, it can be literally anything. And if somebody does like me or does get on with me or compliments me, then it's my feeling is that they had to say that I have some sort of obligation. So it's a case of, Oh, well they're saying that to be nice or they're saying that to look good in front of this other person, not because they actually mean it. And if somebody does compliment me, I have absolutely no idea what no idea what to do. It's just it's the most awkward thing in the world because it's just like this doesn't compute. <laughs> yeah, that must be like really um difficult because I in, in some aspects, what you're describing is kind of like what a lot of people feel, but I think we have to stress that the difference is how it actually makes you feel quite read that yeah. sometimes. it's physically painful and emotionally painful whereas I guess for me it will just be a thought and then it's gone but you're really kind of dealing with the aftermath of it and I think yeah like Michelle has described that's how Michelle feels as well yeah like literally after that award ceremony she was asking question after question or maybe everybody hates me um was that too much was that and I was like calm down it's yeah. okay like it was not that bad it's okay so yeah I just yeah. to stress on that that it's not just that you're very sensitive does that make sense is that it's yeah a, it yeah, is real, it is like a, yeah. a it's like a physical feeling so if I was to to meet somebody and they didn't like me or there was like a a falling out with with a friend or whatever it would be almost like a physical pain that I would feel mm. um and it would be a case of you know, whereas other people can sort of rationalize and say, oh, well, actually what they did was, you know, was unpleasant, was, was nasty or whatever. I would treat it as if I deserved it. Yeah. And and whatever happened, you know, it was my fault. It was, it was, it was all that sort of thing of, um, that I'd somehow caused the situation no matter what it was. And yeah, exactly the same with, with any sort of thing. I, I will sort of analyze everything to such a degree looking for a reason that's, that somebody wouldn't like me or would, or, or, or whatever. It's any, any sort of negative feeling towards me, I will find it. <laughs> yeah. How has that affected your relationships? I'm very sort of critical of myself. Well, I'm lucky I've been with my, my missus for 13 years so she's used to it but new people don't really know how to take it um some people think that I'm actually really arrogant and looking for compliments all the time and it's like no I can't deal with compliments is it because it's the reassurance that you need like yeah yeah that reassurance that yeah everything is okay yeah yeah and it is literally just it's it's something that anybody that is with someone that has RSD really has to understand exactly what is going on in their, in their brain 24 seven and how, how busy that brain is. And that it is, is literally just something that they, they cannot help. It's always going to be there. It's been there from day one. It will be there until time immaterial. And it is a, it is a really sort of ingrained part of them. 
but it does take a certain type of person and a lot of people cannot handle it. And so like, how do you cope? So how do you have any strategies that like I'm thinking after this chat? And I know whenever we spoke about this, that you'll probably go off and you'll think, oh my goodness, meeting Christelle and what did I say? And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know you're going to feel like that because yep. um, <laughs> we spoke about it. So what do you do to, to help you with that? A lot of it is sort of being prepared for it. So I know that's going to happen. And I can, I after more years than I, I care to to mention. <laughs> it's it's something where I know it's going to happen, so I'm sort of prepared for it. It's 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 almost like an an inevitability. So I know that's going to be there, and it's going to be a case. I'm going to I'm going to sort of dwell on that for however long. But the only sort of the, the sort of positive for it is that there's hopefully someone that's listening that thinks actually it's not just me or they look into it and they think actually that sounds a lot like what I go through and that's that's the sort of the main comfort I get from it which obviously out in the world and and sort of daily life and stuff I don't have that because people don't generally know that I'm going through it um but with something like this it's the what will calm it down is that someone somewhere might think actually in amongst what i've said you know there's something relatable there i, I get where that's coming from yeah, yeah definitely it, they definitely yeah. will michelle you relate don't you so yeah really yeah. yeah yeah and definitely i'm sure that there's going to be people listening to this and also about the dyspraxia i think it's really important that we raise awareness about that as well because it's something that i'm finding especially as a teacher <laughs> because they loves that that um yeah <laughs> that that there's I just feel like there's not enough awareness about so I think you know dyspraxia in adults and everything you spoke about there as well and it's just really really you know it's really definitely going to help people out there and uh I just want to say thank you thank you so much for coming back and joining us absolute pleasure there's you know never say never back again <laughs> you're one of our regulars now (laughs) (laughs) and you're quite incognito on social media so we've got nowhere to direct people to but what we want to do is just send you on your way with loads of love and just say you were absolutely amazing thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us today thank you it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure 